Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today for The Stacks Book Club, we brought back James Sexton, who is a divorce attorney and the author of If You're In My Office, It's Already Too Late. He's going to be discussing Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by Rebecca Traster with us today. Good news, there won't be any spoilers this week. Before we dive in, let me remind you about Patreon. That's a wonderful website that allows you to help support the work we do here at The Stacks for as little as a dollar a month. And in exchange for your generosity, you earn perks like our virtual book club, a heads up on upcoming guests, and helping us pick books for the book club. So head over to patreon.com slash The Stacks to join The Stacks Pack. If a monthly contribution isn't something that works for you, consider one-time contributions. Go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. If you love the stacks and want to stay connected, make sure you're following us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter. You can also find links to all of our accounts in the show notes, along with links to everything we talk about on today's episode. If you're planning on shopping on Amazon, click through these links in our show notes before you shop. The stacks will earn a small commission and you'll get to know that your purchase helped the show. I know I ask you this every week and it's because it's important. So if you haven't yet, please take a moment to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Also, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the show. Our most recent review comes from Destiny1857 and they say, I discovered the Stacks pod on Instagram and have been blown away ever since. I thoroughly enjoy each episode and have found countless books that I would not have gravitated to without a push from Tracy and her guests. Great quality, easy to follow, overall amazing show. Thank you so much, Destiny. And thank you for all of you who have left us reviews. We so appreciate it. If you want to be more like Destiny, go rate and review the show. Super easy. Okay, now it's time for our spoiler-free discussion of Good and Mad by Rebecca Traster with our guest, author and lawyer, James Sexton. All right, y'all, we are back again this week with author James Sexton, and we're talking about Good and Mad by Rebecca Traster. It's her book all about the revolutionary power of women's anger. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. So let's just dive in. What did you think of Rebecca's book? I um, I, I really liked it. I mean, I, 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 think, um, I think it's an important book, and I think that it's an important book that a lot of men should read and probably won't. Yes. Because for the reasons that she talks about in the book, and that is that that I think um, women's anger is something that men uh, don't know how to navigate. I, I know, I, I will be candid, I, I picked up her book because I heard her on a podcast. She had an interview with Sam Harris, and they had a rather heated sort of a debate. And um, I, I disagreed with a lot of her perspective. I, mm. I didn't really like a lot of what she had to say. Looking back at it, I think now I realize it was because it made me uncomfortable. Right. Um, as, a, as a white, heterosexual, middle-aged, middle-class, uh, cisgender male, um, I'm, I'm who a lot of the anger is targeted mm. at. Right. And, and um, it's hard not to personalize that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard not to be defensive of it, um, even though I, I, I consider my views very much aligned with the progressive kind of values that I think she holds. Um, but I have to tell you, it, it, it's rare that I read a book that changes the way I look at something the way that book did. I really felt like I learned a tremendous amount from it. 
um, it changed my way of viewing a lot of things. And, and, and that's a, to me, um, that's, you know, the power of a really good nonfiction piece like that. Yeah, I agree. I really like this book for two reasons. One is because as a black woman, I felt extremely validated in a lot of the anger and rage that I have. I grew up, I'm mixed. So my mom is white and my dad is black, but I'm seen as a black woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with a pretty progressive left family. My aunt is in politics. She's a lesbian. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Bay Area and I've always kind of been more attuned to injustice in a way that I think a lot of people weren't. And not that I was like an activist at eight, but I knew that like you can't be mean to people just because they like someone of the same sex. Mm -hmm. And that when people were, I knew that that was wrong. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of always grown up with a little bit of like, hey, don't be an asshole. You know, so to see her kind of acknowledging that that was real and is real and has been real before 2016, I really appreciated. And then on the other side, as a reader and a lover of nonfiction, I really appreciated how the book kind of went through history Mm -hmm. and then it kind of went through the different ways that women's rage has been transformed or translated to be accepted and then went into kind of like me too. Like I thought the form of the book was really great and helped me to think about things. Like she set it up in such a smart way, which I appreciate. Structurally, I think she's a phenomenal writer and I think – I mean, the timing's amazing because I, I right. obviously a book this well researched and well written was in the works way before me too. Right. And so the fact that it landed when it landed is just, I mean, it's incredibly fortuitous. Right. It's, it, you know, but, but it's funny that you say that, that, that your own experience of growing up, you know, biracial and, and having, you know, hearing a voice uh, in this, you mm-hmm. know, for you, um, I, I had a, the same experience reading it, but on the opposite end, right. which is that. I've I've had the experience as a progressive liberal male who was raised in a very feminist household and who has from a very young age been very aligned with LGBTQ issues mm-hmm. and um, really prides myself on being progressive. I was very active in the animal rights movement for many years. I was very active in a lot of social justice movements in, in, when I was a younger man. And um, so, so I, working from the assumption that people assume I'm not those things. Right. So people assume I don't have a position on issues of racism, issues of sexism, issues of heteronormativity or, or you know, homophobia, uh, that, I, that I'm not, I don't understand the struggle of transgendered mm. people, that I don't understand some of these progressive issues because I'm a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. Right. Is, is really um, something challenging for me. And, and so it's very hard for me when I hear criticisms of the demographic to which I belong. Correct. Even though many of them are so incredibly well-deserved and so much of our right. behavior as a collective group of, of, you know, as white heterosexual males, you know, our, our behavior is such that it, it needs to be held accountable. And there is a time. But so, so I found that the idea of this, this concept, for example, of Me Too, that, that no one could argue that this isn't a transformative time, that it isn't an incredibly important movement, that it's not bringing focus to issues that need to be brought focus to. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely one of those people who she's addressing in the book that, that sort of said like, oh, but why are you picking on all these men? And why are you you know, why do you have to be so angry about this? Like, right. it's okay to be upset, but like, geez, like, why are you like screaming at right. us? And why is it like everything everyone does is under a microscope now? And I feel like I'm being attacked and I feel like I can't even be nice to anybody anymore. I can't even say something nice about, oh, I like your dress. Like, you can't say anything friendly right. anymore. And, 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 you know, I, I was one of those people who, you know, pilloried my, my other progressive liberal friends when they would criticize, you know, Aziz Ansari's, you know, incident right. or talk about Louis C.K. and the right. things that he did. And, I would sit there and say, well, why are you conflating this like it was rape? Or why are you conflating this like right. it was that? You know, these are different things. And we have this category shift that's happening where categories are just creeping and becoming bigger and bigger. And if everything's rape, is it, then then what is rape? You know, what is right. actually – and of course, I'm a lawyer too. So I'm very caught up in definitions. Right. I'm very caught up right. in the specifics of what definitions are. So when you say someone committed a sexual assault – you know, I, there is a definition of sexual assault. Right. And so when you start to expand that definition to include boorish behavior that's not mm-hmm. assaultive or or leering at someone as a form of assault, you right. know, 
um, I get very scared because I start to go, well, wait, as a lawyer, like leering at someone is a terrible behavior. Right. It's not something you should do, but it's not assault. Right. It may feel assaultive to the recipient of that behavior. So I was one of those people that was very, very quick to walk around and go, well, wait a minute, this is going too far. This is going too far. And in reading the book, I found a tremendous transformation in my point of view because I I did not understand until I read it that that this is a not for me. Like mm-hmm. this experience is not for me. I'm not a woman. Right. So I don't have a right to tell women how to feel about their right. anger and what they should be felt by. And I never really thought about, even though there are many, many women in my life who I love very dearly and I, I, I want to see protected from, from, from the world, just like everyone I love, I want to see protected from, from the evils of the world. Um, I never really understood how pervasive and real that, that reality is of being a woman, the experience of being a woman, of being subjected day after day after day to sexism and, and, and harassment in, in, in all of its long, you know, long, uh, uh potential forms, you right. know, and reading the book really, um, opened my eyes to that in a way that, that, um, nothing else had and basically said an argument I hadn't really understood before, which is, okay, what happened to Aziz Ansari? He got yelled at on the internet. Right. Some people don't like him very much now. Yeah. Okay. okay. Still has a job. Like he's still, he's not in jail. Right. You know, he didn't lose his liberty. Right. You know, and if, the, if that's the price we have to pay as a society. Right. To then give voice to a collective anger that has been brewing for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Is that really that big of a price to pay? If the net effect of it would be that our societies in some way transform, that there is a traumatic change in how people interact in the workplace. Right. From a sexual harassment point of right. view, in the in the hiring world, I mean, is that a, a big price to pay? And I, I I I couldn't argue with the logic of that. Right, and I think also one of the things she talks about that I think about a lot, like you use the example, you can't say I like your dress, and I think that like she kind of touches on this where it's like you can't say that, but like so who cares? Right, like so what does that really affect your day to day life yeah, that you can't 100%. say like. I don't, I like your dress. Like you could say something else like great job on that email. You really like, thank you for writing, you know, yeah. thank you for this. You can, yeah. you can connect with people and engage with people 100%. and compliment people without it being, you know, looks based. And that's yeah. like super not the end of the world. But I don't think a lot of <laughs> men, you know, understand that. I know right. I didn't because right. I, I really, um, you know, I like people mm-hmm. and I like when people are happy. Mm-hmm. And so I like to try to be someone who's positive in life towards right. people. I mean, I, I think I spent a lot of my time navigating a, a very rocky terrain of people who hate each other as a divorce lawyer. Right. So um, I, I like to be someone who's just friendly to people. And I, it never really occurred to me that the nicest thing I could do to a woman much of the time is to just leave her alone. Yes. <laughs> you know, because she doesn't, I don't, I didn't understand and, and don't understand as a male, having never experienced it, the feeling of fear that a woman feels when she's walking down the street and, and men are constantly approaching her with some other kind of an agenda that's a threatening yeah. kind of agenda. And I just never, I, I, I never perceived that me saying to someone like, oh, I really like your hat, like that, that, that was anything but an act. Because it's, I know for right. myself in my heart it is motivated solely by a desire to make someone feel the way I feel when someone says to me, oh, I love your pocket square. Right. Or, oh, I love. And I go, oh, thank you. Like, right. that means a lot to me. Like, that's lovely. If a man said to me, you know, uh, oh, I really love your pocket square, I wouldn't go, is he gay and hitting on me? And this right. is terror. And am I in danger right now? It would never occur to me. But right. but it's totally reasonable for it to occur to a woman. And and I, I, I never really understood yeah. that. And I don't think this is anything, you know, uh, revolutionary that I'm saying that like, you know, a, 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 a white heterosexual male didn't understand yeah. women's rage um, or their experience. But but I, I think it is very – she understands yes. the argument I'm making yes. and has a much stronger counter argument. That's what's so great about the book yeah. is that she really tackles these things yeah. that seem kind of benign. Yeah, head on. Head on. And she says this is what – you know, she talks about the cool girl yeah. who's the woman in this context who's like talking – about how Me Too is ridiculous and this and that. And and she really like kind of goes through and dismantles that yeah. argument. You know, her first yeah. thing is like, well, first of all, there are women who are critical of Me Too. Right. And you're not special because you're saying that you don't agree with it. Like you don't get points for that because there are people who support Me Too who also have problems with Me Too. Right. And then she talks about how like you're just being used in service to the white 
capitalistic patriarchy, sure. right? That you benefit from saying this stuff sure. is a problem, yeah. which I just, she's just so smart. She's, she's really <laughs> smart. And I will say that she, um, you know, I just, as a lawyer and as someone who just argues for a living, I I'm very interested in argument. Yeah. I'm working on my second book right now and it's actually a book about argument. Mm. Um, and I, as a result of it, I'm very conscious of how people are how people arguing. Argue. Yeah. Cause that's what the book is, is it's a, it's a, the book I'm working on is a book about argument. It's right. about how do you argue and what are the fair tactics and what are the unfair tactics right. and what are the ones that work and what are the ones that don't so that you can identify them. And she argues incredibly well. She does. She's, she's just, she argues effectively. She, she makes it clear first. And that's what brought me to the book was that, that she made clear in her interaction with Sam Harris, who I think is very intelligent and articulate and very good at arguing as well. She made very clear, okay, here's what you're saying to me. Mm-hmm. I understand your point. Right. Okay. So here's your point. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Here's where it's wrong. Yeah. And mm. and or here's where mine is better. Right. And makes more sense and gets to the place you're trying to get. And I have to tell you, I just love that from an intellectual perspective. Yeah. From a from a lawyering perspective. Because she you can't say, yeah, but she doesn't get this, or oh yeah, but she's ignoring that, or yeah, she has this bias. Right. She calls all that out. She says it. And I really like that. I, yeah. I think that that was for me, again, it's an uncomfortable book. Yeah. I, I found it deeply uncomfortable to read because I, I think it's so true and it hits on so many things that are happening in our culture. Right. And like I said, as, as, a, as a male, it was a hard book to read, but it, it's a great book and it's an important book. Yeah. Well, and to think about this book now being out in the world as we're gearing up for these 2020 elections, right, as all these candidates are starting to Mm -hmm. come out. And a lot of this book does deal with Hillary and Trump because it was written between Trump's election and Me Too and, you know, came out late 2018. And I kept, as I was going over my notes, thinking about already what we've seen, like with Amy Klobuchar, like already we're seeing this narrative that she's mean and nasty and horrible. And like, maybe she's not a super nice boss, which like, Mm -hmm. who hasn't had a terrible boss who was mean and nasty and horrible, but that for her, it's disqualifying. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that she talks about well, and where, where some of our views may diverge is that, you know, I think that I don't like anger as a personality trait in men or women. I, mean, right. I just don't, I don't find it to be a productive thing. It can be highly motivating. And I think that's a good thing. But I, I think that, you know, when the, the Dalai Lama said, you know, that, that, that getting angry at someone is like reaching into a pile of hot coals to throw them at someone. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you may, burn may not your hand. burn them, but you're definitely going to burn yourself. And, and so I've, I've never found it. I've always made my charge and maybe it's because I am male and I have sons. One of the, things that needs to be done. Some of the work that needs to be done is, is teaching men how to be something other than angry, Mm -hmm. you know? So I've spent a lot of time sort of saying, you know, why, why are men in their limited emotional vocabulary that they're provided? Why is anger? One of the things we're taught is totally acceptable and it's channeled into all these very aggressive sports and Mm -hmm. all these very aggressive, hyper aggressive things that we do, things that, you know, now people are calling toxically masculine or toxic masculinity. And, and, you know, why would women want to emulate that? Why would women want to embrace the shittiest part of the male gender trope? Right. But, but I think her response to that is, is much more powerful, you know, that is that, that anger has an incredible transformative power and that history is changed. Like, you know, it's not blood alone moves the wheels of history. It really is anger moves the wheels of history. And I also think though, even more fundamental than that is that humans are capable of all sorts of feelings and emotions and that certain gender roles have forced certain genders to not experience them doesn't make like, I don't know that she's necessarily advocating for the same level of rage and anger that men have become comfortable exploring and using, nor is she saying that men should be as, you know, tamped down as women are. But I think part of it is just acknowledging women are angry too. Right. And like, that's awesome and okay. And she does say, I think in the book, I think she says, you know, it's productive to a point. 100%. And then you have to organize it and use it and harness it. Well, that, that's what I, that's what I, I, I guess I was trying to say. Maybe I didn't say it well, is that, that I, I was resistant to approach the, the fundamental premise of the book. Right. Because I said, well, why would, you know, anger is like, 
it's such an unproductive emotion much right. of the time. And so why would we say like, oh, women have the right to be as awful as men, you know, right. and that seems terrible to me, you right. know, and, and, and then reading it, you really see that, well, no, this is, it, 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 it's a different concept that she's talking about. She's talking about an anger that's born of frustration over the realities of sy- systemic oppression that that really predates even the person who's right. experiencing that anger. Right. You know, this is I'm born into a system where I'm born way behind in mm-hmm. the race, and and people are kind of going, "Hey, catch up!" And yeah. so I, I I think she she just does a really really good job of of opening your eyes to that way of looking at it, and and so. I haven't read a non and I read a lot of nonfiction, but I haven't read a nonfiction book that's so fundamentally shifted the paradigm as to how I look at something. Yeah, that's and, interesting. And she really changed the way I even look at the conversation. Yeah. Her, the introduction of the book, it's kind of long. Mm-hmm. It's actually amazing. Yeah, it's the really introduction good. of the book is like, I'm like, if you don't want to read the whole book, if you hate Maybe nonfiction, like just read the introduction. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. But she defines political anger versus personal anger. And I think that that's kind of the switch that to make personal anger or frustration productive it's got to be channeled into a political anger, which is less punitive, less emotional, and more, she says it's an anger at inequality or injustice. Mm -hmm. And so then you can make it a bigger thing and you can work towards Mm -hmm. something. Whereas I think kind of what you're talking about with men is that personal anger, that can be really destructive. Mm -hmm. It's, as my boss would say, feelings aren't facts. And that it's like you're... what do you call that? Where you're just like working it up, working yeah. it up, working yeah, it up, and it then it becomes going. explosive. Yeah, and I and I think it goes back to your prior point, which is that that so we're so used to seeing male personal anger mm-hmm. that it doesn't seem foreign to us. Correct. So when you see politicians, right. uh, you know, evincing that same anger, and they're male. It doesn't seem strange right. because you go, well, yeah, you know, men are angry. They right. yell, you know, they, right. they yell, they threaten each other. Well, this and is it, what they yeah, do. And, like, and when a woman does it, it's like, whoa, whoa, what the hell's wrong with her? You know? Right. But but it is so urgently politically necessary to be outraged. And it's right. important to be outraged. And if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that, that she's absolutely correct that the effect of it is an incredibly toxic effect to our culture. Right. If men are the only ones allowed to be angry right. and are allowed, the only ones allowed to evince an emphasis. I mean, I think a lot of what is misperceived as anger is emphasis or, or, or importance, you know, assigning importance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I happen to like Elizabeth Warren uh, quite a bit. And, um, you know, I, I've talked when we were talking about the, I think there's, you know, we're up to 875 people running for the Democratic yes. presidential nomination at this point. Um, probably two or three more have been added in uh, while we've been uh, recording mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I said something about Elizabeth Warren, somebody said like, yeah, but she's like so angry all the time, you know? And, I remember thinking like, well, she's not, she's actually just very emphatic and right. she has a very defined point of view and she's not afraid to like all traits that if I was describing it, you know, in, right. in a male candidate, like it wouldn't even put anybody's radar. So the more I, I, this book definitely um, made my radar more attuned to how much people are critical of women's assertiveness as being indicative of anger when it's actually not even anger. You right. Know? Yeah, exactly. And that's funny that you said that about Elizabeth Warren, because I don't necessarily, I've not heard that yeah. about her, nor do I think that about her, but I have heard it already about Kamala Harris, which I think yeah. is really interesting because yeah, that, that also plays into like the race, the race part of it too. And, you know, the day that she announced, I was at a family friends and they were like, oh, you know, I don't know. She's like pretty angry. She's pretty <laughs> abrasive. And I was like, she is? I was, I was like, I don't I feel that she's not specifically like, and I'm like, okay. Also though, she's a lawyer. And I think Mm -hmm. that like lawyers tend to be abrasive. Like you're fight, you're arguing, you're fighting. Like that's a hard thing. And also lawyers, you know, not to stroke your ego too much are pretty smart people. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) like it's like, we're smart at arguing. I mean, that's what we learn how to do. And so I, I think Elizabeth Warren, you know, the reason why I think people have identified her with being, you know, angry is that she was one of the most vocal critics of Donald Trump. I mm-hmm. mean, she during Hillary's campaign, she was one of the people that got out there in stump speeches and talked about this guy's an idiot. Yeah. You know, and and she didn't say it in this sort of, well, I think he's ill-informed. But no. She'd say he's an idiot, yeah. you know, and he's saying stupid things. Yeah. And he's saying racist things. And he's saying sexist things. Right. 
And she was very plain talk with the same characteristics, by the way, that people love about Donald Trump. Which and is love about Bernie Sanders. And absolutely. And, and, and look, I, I think it's very strange that we haven't as a culture spent more time talking about the topic of anger, assertiveness, you know, um, argument from women. Mm-hmm. And I think that this book, just like I said, it landed at a very, right very interesting time because yeah. this is, I, I think you've also now mentioned that a very important reason why there are a number now of female presidential candidates. You know, Hillary Clinton got the closest to that White House that mm-hmm. any, you know, that, that any woman has in history. Um, and I think there are a lot of women who are ready to take, you know, that challenge and to see, can they break that glass ceiling? And you know, I think until we address this issue that that Rebecca is writing about, we're 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 not we're, we're this is going to come up a lot in the next yeah. two years. Yeah, it's come I think up this is going to be essentially the entire mm-hmm. focus. I mean, I follow Rebecca on Twitter, and she's a great mm-hmm. Twitter follower. Yeah. She's constantly yeah. posting articles, being like, "Why did they ask Kristen Gillibrand that? Right? Like, what right. what was that question about?" Yeah, she's she's very. Um, you know, she, I've listened to her on a couple of podcasts now and she's extremely, uh, you know, well-spoken and, 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 you know, cause there are, and I, I don't say that, you know, from the point of view, it's just sometimes people are great writers yes, and not good and they're just talking. not great speakers, yeah. you know, and, and, um, you know, she's, she's the combination. I mean, she's mm-hmm. both, she's mm-hmm. a really, really talented writer and her structural writing is, is, is phenomenal and her, her research is impeccable, but, but yeah, on Twitter, even she, she just points all those things. And I, I, you know, I love that. I love when anybody's kind of a disruptor in the system and just kind of points out the little like, oh, why'd they do it that way? Or, oh, how's this different than this? Mm-hmm. And um, she does a lot of that. Have you read Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper? No, I haven't. You and should someone read else it. Pointed me she mentions reason. it in yes, this book. I read it well. first. I read Eloquent Rage first. And okay. it's it's more intersectional, though this book is very intersectional, yeah. which I really appreciated. But yeah. Eloquent Rage is focused on black feminism mm-hmm. and Brittany Cooper is what I like to refer to as the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. She kind of has that, like, you just are reading it and you're like, sure, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. Bingo, bingo. Mm-hmm. And she, it's another, it's a great companion piece to yeah. Good and Mad. When I, when I, um, I was an undergraduate, I was a psychology major and my minor was gender studies. And at the time, you know, the, the late eighties, early nineties, that wasn't really, uh, as, as, you know, prolific of a field, you know, there wasn't a women, women's studies major at mm-hmm. that point. And we read uh, at the time, Andrea Dworkin was an incredibly controversial mm. figure. And I remember, you know, having uh, having read her writing and, and, and she and Bell Hooks and there were a few other writers that were saying some pretty incendiary things. You right. Know? And they, they had an anger to their voice, but it was a voice of the oppressed. It was a voice of it was like, you know, Zach Della Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. It's angry music. Mm-hmm. But the anger is is. It's there for a reason. Right. It's targeted. It's there to wake you up to something. It's there to open your eyes to an anger, like a real anger that that has uh, roots that that are meaningful, you know. And um, I remember, you know, even the most sort of intelligent, progressive, feminist people I knew and teachers I had would say, like, well, Andrea Dworkin's like this really mad lesbian, you know, mm. like she's this. I remember thinking, like, well, that, isn't that just like a great way to just dismiss everything, everything that she has to say, like every point of view she has, and and just eradicate it, like just erase it, because well, she's just like angry, and she's an angry lesbian, so you like threw a little homophobia in there too to make it, you know, make it more flavorful mm-hmm. of, a, of a dismissal. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say that I I want to believe that in the thirty years or so that have passed since then that a figure like an Andrea Dworkin, and like someone coming in and saying, yeah, no, like per- we shouldn't have pornography. Like we right. just shouldn't have it. Right. Like I, I get, I get why you want to see pornography, but right. I have to live in the society that, like, the whole well, you don't like porn, don't watch it. Okay, that doesn't work because I, I don't like living in a society where porn exists and creates perceptions and, and attitudes towards women and how it's pervaded our society. And you can't just say, well, don't watch it, and then you won't have to affect. No, it affects my society. It right. affects my view. It affects my life. It affects my right. safety. I'm afraid, I want to believe that 30 years later, you know, 30 years later, what, 20 years ago, you know, on Will and Grace, Will couldn't kiss his boyfriend, Mm. you know, and now, you know, it's totally acceptable to have on television, you know, gay characters and lesbians characters and transgendered characters. I think if Andrea Dworkin showed up right now or someone showed up with the exact same point of view of Andrea Dworkin, they'd get pilloried the same way that she got pilloried. I do too, actually. (laughs) And and I really am amazed at how 
because there are I don't want to be one of those progressives who says like, oh, well, you know, we've made no progress. It's ridiculous to suggest we've made no progress, but we have not made that much progress when it's 30 years later and the exact same. And I think that 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 what Rebecca talks about in this book is is the fundamental logical roots as to why we haven't made any progress in the area of women's anger and and the ability and the, the rage and frustration and how when it's expressed by women, it is terrifying. to them. Right. She also has this great point about women's anger that is tolerated mm-hmm. and that that's women's anger that's in service to right. Right. white capitalist right. patriarchy. Right. So, well, and, and the things that support patriarchy. So like right. a woman's allowed to be very angry about a threat to her children. Right. Or like Sarah Palin right. was allowed to be angry right. because she was in service to, to the these to the patriarchy. Right. And I and I had never really thought about that. Yeah. But I think that that was part of the reason that I maybe didn't Mm-hmm. understand my own anger mm-hmm. because I couldn't quite figure out why some people could be angry yeah. and that, and I kind of was like, Oh, I think it's cause I'm black, mm. but I didn't realize that it was also because I was angry about things that would change the system. Right. Cause she talks about in the me too section, she talks about how while men were being sexist and, you know, sexually harassing people in the sixties, seventies, eighties, whatever, nineties yesterday, they were also in power and they were making the rules in which women had to live. So even as they were doing these horrible things to women, women, instead of being able to be angry about it and make change about it, they were forced to deal with it and kind of avoid and change their structure and maybe go the long way to the bathroom and maybe wear a turtleneck every day and all this stuff. And then that meant they couldn't be focusing on the work, which means they weren't getting bumped up and getting to be ahead. And so then all of a sudden you have this system that's rigged against you because you're trying not to be a victim. Like, So all of that stuff kind of makes more sense now why, you know, women who are part of the 2010 Tea Party were celebrated. Like why we have an Ann Coulter who's as angry as they come. Absolutely. She she couldn't, you couldn't describe her as anything else but angry, but that she's allowed to be angry and so many men love her and think she's so great. And even men who are allegedly, you know, on both sides, like Bill Maher loves Ann Coulter. And you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense, but it's because she services that progress for patriarchy, you know? And I think that like, that was something that was a huge, like aha moment as Oprah would say. A hundred percent. And she's, she's, you know, anything that's a threat to the the interests of the powerful Mm -hmm. is perceived differently than that, which supports the interests of the powerful. Right. Right. And and, and, I mean, there's no way around that. I mean, that's, and and people tend to, you know, we've increased that echo chamber sort of world that we live in tremendously Mm -hmm. by now having the ability anytime, any day to find in podcasts, print, online, on television, you know, a chorus of people who agree with whatever your perspective Mm -hmm. is, even if it is the most racist, homophobic, insane perspective there, you will find a massive amount of support for your worldview. And, and, you know, I, I'm fascinated by that. I mean, as an advocate for a living, as someone who has to argue both sides of, of, mm-hmm. of conflicts constantly. Um, and so therefore, I, I have to understand my argument that I need to make for my client. I also have to understand what the other side's argument is. And I have to figure out how to dismantle theirs and how they might dismantle mine. Mm-hmm. So I have to always be looking at vulnerabilities of arguments. So I'm always looking at arguments in this very technical kind of way, in this mm-hmm. chess match kind of way. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, she she really opens your eyes in this book to how the logic just doesn't stand up as to why we support certain kind of anger and find it charming from women mm-hmm. when they're supporting the interests of the patriarchy mm-hmm. or when they're supporting interests that support the interests of the patriarchy, like motherhood mm-hmm. and you know other concepts. That, that keep women perhaps, you know, stagnant in their role or that, you know, put women in a, in a economically disenfranchised position so that men by proxy kind of right. rise. Um, and, and that those women can then benefit from their husband's correct, rise. Correct. And so I, I, I get it, you know, I, I mean, but again, yeah, I mean, she, like I said, I, I feel like, you know, whoever discovered water, it wasn't a fish. <laughs> and I felt like when I read this book, it was like the fish in the water. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is like, really, I didn't, I didn't, this is a huge blind spot 
for for a man. This isn't a book, though, that anybody's going to palatably choke down. Like, it's a hard book to read. It's it's not a hard book to read. It reads really well, but it's a hard book to get someone to read. Yeah. You know, I, I read it and I kind of had this like Soylent Green moment where I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, everybody has to read this yeah. book, you know, and I, it was very hard to get a lot of my male friends to read it. A lot of my female friends read it and were like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah. Like, you didn't get that? It was more like when I read it, I was like, ooh, let me take notes. I have So I have ammunition yeah. for fights with, with men say crazy yeah. things to me. <laughs> well, <know? laughs> I'll tell you something. I'll share something personal. I, I um, you know, I, I, I tend to, I, my wife is a, an attorney as well. She's no longer practicing, but she, she, um, she's retired from it. I joke that she jumped over the fence. <laughs> um, she, uh. And I often have very interesting and heated debates about political things because although we're, we're mostly aligned in our political views, we, we, we're, we're not aligned in our life experience you mm-hmm. know, because she's female and I'm male. And, you know, we've had different life experiences. And um, I was talking to her about this book as I was reading it. And she was getting increasingly annoyed at me. Hmm. And at one point, she just sort of like the dam broke. And she just said, um, I've said these things to you about a dozen times hmm. in in discussing Me Too and in discussing Hillary Clinton, because I was not a Hillary Clinton supporter. And um, because I, I had other issues with her, with the Clinton family, I think, as a political dynasty. I have issues with political dynasties in general. But I, I and she sort of said, like, it's so interesting to me that you found this book so moving and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And yet there was a woman standing next to you saying many of these same things and you didn't hear anything she was saying. And I... It was a very correct point, and it was. And I didn't have until I read the book. I didn't think I really. I didn't have an explanation for it. But by reading the book, I sort of went, "No, now I get why." Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to hear it because I didn't want to hear the anger. I didn't. Right. I'm uncomfortable with your anger. I'm uncomfortable. I don't have a fraught relationship. I, I I'm not a person who enjoys. I get enough conflict in my day to day life. Right. I don't. I argue <laughs> for a living. I don't want to do it for free. I'm incredibly uncomfortable with female anger. Right. And so I. I didn't hear the logic underlying it because all I could hear was, oh, she's like, she's like so angry. angry. I don't want to have this discussion because yeah. it's like, oh, let me change the topic. And so it, it, it really it was, a, it drove home for me um, how much we miss right. as men if we don't learn how to be comfortable with and hear the substance beneath a point of view that's expressed by an angry woman. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you feel like in reading this book that um, Traster gave space for you to kind of get on board with the women's movement in a new way or not? I don't feel like she did. I I think that she didn't... And I don't say that pejoratively. I, I don't think this book was written for me. I, I mean, don't think I, so I either. I think it was just written because it needed <laughs> right. to be written. And I think that um, I think she'd be happy to know. I think that it that it changed someone's point of view in a in a way that I think is positive. Right. But um, and I'm okay with that because I think that that's one of the messages underlying the book. Yeah. Is that I, I, you know, it's not her job to educate me. It's right. not her job to change my emotional state. It's not her role. You know, right. like this is not a book about like, how do we, how do we make this better for men? And how right. do we make them comfortable? And, well, right. and I don't, I don't feel like she, she took that burden on and I don't think it's her burden to, to, to take, but I didn't feel this book was unfair. There was nothing she said in here as a, as a man with his mm-hmm. radar attuned to criticisms of the, the group to which he is a part. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like this book was unfair at all. I didn't feel un, I didn't feel un, I did, I felt threatened terribly by a lot of what was said mm-hmm. and I felt a lot of it was very fair criticism of points of view that I've even had. Right. And reactions I've had to women um that I didn't understand yeah. and that I didn't because look my dislike for example of Hillary Clinton you know I think that there's a a, a sound logical basis for it but but some of it was the stuff she talks about. Yeah. Some of it was just, oh, why does she make me uncomfortable? You right. know what? Look, there's there's things I don't like that I don't understand why I don't like it. Right. I don't like egg salad. <laughs> I don't know why I don't like egg salad. It's I like gross. eggs. I, don't like I think eggs. it is really gross. It's gross. But I like a lot of the components of it. <laughs> right. But when you add it all up, I don't like it. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not suggesting that Hillary Clinton's the equivalent of egg salad, but no. I think that I, I think she deconstructs a very complex interplay of intersectional problems mm-hmm. in a way that look intersectionality is is a new concept right and and it's one of those concepts that that you know 30 years ago when when I was you know doing you know gender study stuff mm-hmm. as an undergraduate um, and I used to say like well but isn't there also an element of class in this mm-hmm. and isn't there also an element of race in this issue and isn't there also an element of sexism in this particular right. political issue and I was constantly trying to sort of point out like well it's not just that she's a woman it's that she's an African American woman it's not just she's an African American woman it's she's a poor African American right. woman and so each one of these like piles on another layer of of powerlessness and another layer of, and I think the fact that that um, she's taking such a complex because there's a lot of race in this book. Yes. A lot of race lot. in this book. And I think that's a huge part of feminism. The reason that well, I asked you- It's truly intersectional, right. I think, as a book goes. The reason I asked you that question is kind of on that grounds because I felt like what I appreciated about this book is she spoke to a lot of women of color who chimed mm-hmm. in. And one of the things that Alicia Garza, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, that she said about, I think they're talking about the Women's March in this mm-hmm. context. And yeah. she was saying like, look, white ladies, we're so glad you're here. Right. We're glad that you're angry. We're also angry. And you're allowed to be angry, but also we're allowed to still be angry at you. Right. And so that's why I was asking if you felt like she made space for you at all, because I kind of feel like yeah. she, that was the overarching part of the book. Like, hey, guy who's reading this book, thanks for being here. I'm glad that you're reading this. I'm glad you're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. I hope that you're also irritated, mm-hmm. but also we're still mad at you. And yeah. I kind of felt and, like. And, and I guess, the, you know, I, I, I gave a talk um, a couple of months ago, uh, Lifehacker, uh, the podcast and, and website did mm-hmm. a panel discussion called Lifehacker. It was a live event and it was myself, uh, Esther Perel and Donald Shorter, um, who is a, uh, a transgender uh, performer. And the topic was, um, how should a man be? Mm. And all they said to us is, we want you to talk for 15 minutes about the topic, how should a man be? Hmm. And they gave us no further guidance on what wow. that is. And, and, and I thought to myself, well, that's just like, it's a huge and insanely broad potential question. But it's also like a Rorschach test. Because mm-hmm. how you answer that question says a lot more about, how you interpret the question says a lot more about who you are and what right. you think, you know? Right. And of course, you know, Donald gave an amazing answer about his experience as, as, as genderqueer and, and, and sort of, you know, his experience as a gay man. And Esther Perel was 
one of the smartest people in any room, you know, mm-hmm. gave an incredibly thoughtful and, and, and well-reasoned, you know, argument and discussion about male, the male gender role. And what I tried to focus a lot of my thoughts on was the experience of, of maleness and emotion and lack of emotion. I talked a lot about men in conflict because I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with angry men and I spent a lot of time with men who are upset and they don't know how to process their anger. And it was before I read this book. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like... Um, Men, we have to, as men, learn how to accept that anger and, and also to accept the fact that I, I've learned this as a parent. I remember once being very angry at one of my sons for something that they did that was just one of the boneheaded things that young people mm-hmm. do. <laughs> and my son was very upset by how upset at him I was. And I sort of like walked out of the room just completely fed up with him. And he came in the other room and he was crying and he said, you know, I, 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 I'm so sorry that you're this upset at me. You know, I love you. And, and I said to him, you know, you understand i i can be really mad at you and love you mm-hmm. like that you can be mad at someone and love them like right. there's nothing in me that doesn't love you right now i'm right. incredibly angry at you right now i'm angry right. at your behavior i'm angry at the parts of your personality that it demonstrates to me that you right. engaged in that behavior but i, I love you right you know? and i i want to figure this out i have to figure this out because i do love you you know if if i was to speak to the potential male reader of this book mm-hmm. i think that you don't owe us that, you know, Rebecca. I don't know Rebecca's mm-hmm. life or, or who she is as a, as a person or anything like that. But um, I feel like the 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 uh, when it comes to the women's march and and some of the the the, the, the very necessary conversation mm-hmm. that was had about intersectionality that came out of that. Um, and the idea that listen, you know, white ladies, like we're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. We're still mad at you. Yeah. And. I think it's very normal. And in my book where I'm talking about relationships, you know, it's very, when someone says, I'm mad at you, your first instinct is, okay, but wait, here's why you shouldn't be mad right. at me. But I didn't do it. <laughs> right. Or here's why I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. You know, if I did it, I didn't mean to do it. Or here's why, you know, so I, I think we just have to figure out a way to, to, to make clear that that first part of, look, I, I love you. Mm-hmm. but I'm mad at you. Right. You know, and I love you, but you've benefited tremendously right. from something wildly unfair. That's been terribly prejudicial toward me and kept me down. And, and that's the only way we're going to get any, any yeah. better, especially in a representative democracy. Yeah. Cause we got to figure out a way to get the majority on board. Right. You and, know, I think one mm-hmm. of the things she did so well, and, and we were talking about it before we, we, we turned the mics on, but you know, is that she, Donald Trump is, is not, an unintended side effect of this. Donald, Donald Trump was created by by this these issues. Yeah, you know, and and he is the embodiment of a lot of this. Yeah, and, and I am I am willing to bet. I don't have you know crystal ball, but I am willing to bet he is going to double down mm-hmm. on the what an angry woman, what an unpleasant woman rhetoric. Yeah, it worked because it worked. All that, you know, she is an unpleasant woman. Yeah, what a media. All that it worked so well right. against Hillary Clinton. And look, I didn't love her as a candidate, but I have to say, like when someone's being treated unfairly, I don't like watching anyone right. be treated unfairly, even if I hate them. I mean, there there are times where people criticize Donald Trump, who I I consider like public enemy number one at this point. And I will go, well, that's not a fair criticism. You can say a lot of. There's so much you can say about this guy, sure. but that's not a fair criticism sure. of the guy. You know, so. Um, you know, people criticize that he's divorced so many times, for example. Right. And they'll say, well, he's divorced. He can't keep his marriage together. He mustn't be right. He's like, okay, there's so much more you can criticize well, this right. guy And for. if you're going to criticize his divorce, maybe criticize that he's pretending to be a fundamental Christian Right. Well, like, well, that, exactly. That's like, the criticism about there. your divorce. You know, a, a friend of mine once jokingly said that he didn't understand racism because he said, you know, there's so many reasons to hate people. Why right. would you pick the color of their skin? Right. Like, like there's so many reasons to just hate people. People are horrible. Right. He was like, why, why would you just arbitrarily go, oh, your skin color? That's the thing I hate well, about you. Right. Like, you should hate people for all the myriad of reasons they deserve to be hated. You know? Well, right. Well, but I really do think that, that, that what we've got here is a situation where, you know, if we don't understand this and explain it better to the masses, which I don't know that it's capable of doing, I, I, I'm terrified I, that, 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 it's going to continue. The fear of women's anger will be weaponized very mm-hmm. effectively against whomever runs. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I'm definitely terrified about 2020. I don't necessarily have as as angry as I have been about Donald Trump and what happened to Hillary and how it happened 
And I, I was a Hillary supporter, but not in the same way that I see myself supporting some of these other candidates that are out and how I supported Barack Obama. Like I didn't feel passionately about her, which is different. And being someone who's, you know, my first election that I could vote in was um, Bush Kerry. Is that true? Yeah. Bush Kerry. And so, yeah, I just missed the other one anyways, but having had Obama so early in my voting life, it really kind of fucked up the way that I think of politicians. And I recognize that as someone who loves politics. Like, yeah, yeah, I was kind of spoiled because Hillary doesn't have the same, she doesn't evoke the same, she didn't evoke the same feeling in me that Obama did. But that is also part of the problem because we're expecting this kind of like your politician not only has to be smart and great and more qualified than everyone else, but they also have to make you feel great about yourself. Uh And like, she has to be beautiful and tall and have long hair and wear like wear pants. This is just like a, 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 like, uh, like a story, like a children's story. Right. Exactly. Cause like Obama kind of ruined yeah, Obama and was, was great. I mean, Obama I mean, Obama's was, like was, the love of my life. Obama so. <laughs> was just, yeah, well, I think we all have like, you know, and I would say we fetishized him, but I, I think he was legit that yeah. smart and legit that funny and legit that brilliant right. an orator. And, and he was the smartest person in the room in any room. And that, 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 yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's very easy to sort of look at that like a messianic, you know, sort right. of figure, but, um, you know, he had eight years where I think a lot of his efforts were stymied. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I think that there was a frustration, you know, that people felt. But I, I feel like there was a tremendous amount of weaponized sexism against yes. Hillary. And that's the problem come is, is it will absolutely blow up in our faces collectively to say that the only reason Hillary Clinton didn't get elected is that she was a woman. You know, right. I, I, I think that 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 just flies in the face of logic because right. you, you, that's like saying the only reason I don't like Ann Coulter is that she's a woman right? and that she's an yeah. angry woman. And I must be uncomfortable with women's anger. No, I don't like Ann Coulter because she's, she's just absolutely awful. And her right. viewpoint is awful and racist and sexist and, and, and homophobic and awful. Right. And just to be clear, I don't think we're conflating Ann Coulter and Hillary Clinton. Well, we're not. No, no. <laughs> I just want to say that because yeah, I don't want to get ang- angry messages no, that are like, trying, they're the same. I, no, I was trying to suggest that the logic of so, saying. Yes, of course. Of course. I know what you were game. saying, and but, you know. Again, is I'm a bit of a wonk when it comes to arguments. So yeah. I like to look at the logic of argument. But Yeah. Um, I think it will be interesting to see in 20, like these candidates, because I do think some of them have the quote unquote likability, these women that Hillary quote unquote didn't have, which I think is really, really important now in a way that maybe it wasn't 45 years ago that like likability means more. Cause I don't necessarily feel like some of our past presidents were super likable, but they also weren't on Instagram and Twitter. And it wasn't like you felt like you needed to know that slightly different culture in terms of how much surface mattered and how much exposure, you know, you had the television and the television was the way that people got to see the candidates and they got to see them in these very specific settings. And now 24 seven, we're just inundated with information and it's coming in and and, and it's coming from all sources. And, you know, I I think one of the things that Rebecca does incredibly well in the book by breaking down the sort of playbook of how women's anger is weaponized is, is also incredibly dangerous in the sense that, that, you know, it lays out how to to weaponize it it against women. Yeah. And, and so, um, I thought to myself, you know, like whoever's running, you know, for the democratic ticket in 2020 should, should read this book and learn how to try to control against some of these prejudices and whoever is, uh, uh, you know, uh, helping Trump's campaign should probably read this and learn how to weaponize those prejudices. And, and, Unfortunately, you know, it, 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 politics is a little bit like chess in the sense that everyone knows what all the pieces do mm-hmm. and everyone knows the moves that everyone could make. And you just have to sort of figure out, you know, what's how do you anticipate the other side's right. moves and get a few moves. And you don't want to be the one who gets caught out. So <laughs> I really would love to hear and I'll, I'll be looking to her Twitter and I'll be looking to uh, the, the writing that she does. because She's done you know quite a bit of other writing other than the book. Um, I'm going to be very interested to hear Rebecca's point of view on a lot of the the field of candidates and a lot of what's going to happen in primaries Mm -hmm. and a lot of, because I I think she is a, uh, not only a brilliant writer, but, but a a really um, incendiary thinker and, and um, very aware of even her own, what her own perspectives are informed by, Mm -hmm. you know, when you hear on podcasts, you hear that she's got a, a, you know, an insight into even her own perspective, her own biases and what they're informed by. So, um, I'll be, I'll be really interested to hear how she weighs in on all of these issues. Yeah. And, And I hope that she ends up on the, 
on the supporting team of, of whoever, whatever candidate is that I'm cheering for when the time. Yeah, comes. me too. <laughs> In the field of now probably 936. There's so many. It's, it's unbelievable. And it's, that's also terrifying. Just the idea that there's so many people. I'm like, this is hard. What scares me is the fact that they're, they're coming out of the woodwork so early on. Yeah. Because I just feel like Trump is just in this elevated position where he can just, he's got like a year and a half, just take shots at everybody. Yeah. But I think people have to, because they're worried about securing the donors. Yeah. And there's fundraising. And there's only so much money. And now California's early. And I think that's like- They said Bernie raised like 3.3 million in his first like 12 hours after now. Yeah. He's going to raise a ton, but Kamala raised a ton in all 50 states. Like, right. You know, so it'll be interesting. I just want to believe so badly. And again, maybe it's the the Obama believer in me that I just want to believe that somehow we're going to like all get up as a progressive political party and just go, wait, no, we got to all get together. Yeah. We got to just put like, we'll figure out all the other stuff later. Like we'll figure out all of our problems with each other later. We got to weaponize against this big thing, you know, I know I I really hope it happens, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know that we will. Right. And I think that like some of the fear around, and I had a lot of trepidation around Trump. I I had a sense that he was going to win. I'm like mm-hmm. one of the few people who wasn't as shocked on election day. I'd actually called my brother right before the first polls closed. And I was like, are you as terrified as I am? And he's like, no, he's an idiot. It's going to be fine. Yeah, that and was me. it was one of the things that I said to my brother where I was like afterwards, I was like, you, he's my older brother. And I look up to him and he's like my guide for so many things. And I was like, you let me down. Yeah. You didn't, you know, like I was really upset. And yeah. she does kind of talk about that with black women as because they don't benefit from the patriarchy or from white supremacy, yeah. that they often can see things and end up being the resistance like standard bearer. And I thought that that was really interesting because I knew it intellectually, but I'd never really seen it written down, which I think is kind of my big takeaway from the book. A lot of this stuff I knew, not intellectually, physically, like I, I could sense it, yeah. but I didn't always have the words for it. Yeah. And that's kind of like what she talks about with black women, where it's like then all of a sudden all the women's march, all this stuff comes and listen to black women, trust black women. And it almost becomes like a meme, this idea, as opposed to actually like listening and putting black women in places of power. And she talks about um, I think she calls it digital blackface, Mm -hmm. where it's like memes of black people specifically women have been used to express emotion that other people aren't comfortable with. Like, like, you know, memes of Kamala Harris rolling her eyes at Jeff Sessions right. or, you know, right. Maxine Waters or Oprah's, right. you know, you got a car, yeah, like yeah. all of that yeah. stuff. She just she really made a space in this book for black women mm-hmm. that I feel like is so important mm-hmm. coming from a smart white woman who people respect and listen to because yeah. she really like I feel like that's, you know, good allyship, right? Yeah. Like you make a space for these voices yeah. and you you make people hear them and see them in a new way. Yeah. So that I think is what makes me nervous about 2020. Because did, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer to the question. Did, did, when you finished this book, mm-hmm. did, you, did you feel optimistic and hopeful? Did you feel like, what did you feel? No, no, I did not feel optimistic and hopeful. I felt like, oh, someone got it. Someone else gets okay. it. Because I had read Eloquent Rage before and yeah. Brittany Cooper clearly gets it and says all yeah. the things, but she's a black woman. And yeah. so I feel like as a black woman, I'm always like, sure, we get it, but other people don't get it. Yeah. Like, do you know Jamel Hill, the woman who sure. worked for ESPN? Like, she's one of those people that I'm like, oh, she's always right where I am. Yeah. And but people like hate her and destroy her yeah. on the internet at all times. And so that's kind of terrifying as yeah. a black woman. But hearing Rebecca Traster yeah. say a lot of the same things, I was like, oh, good. Someone that people might actually listen to yeah. is getting it. So Because it, it was interesting to me because, you know, the, the, the intro is amazing and long. Mm-hmm. The conclusion is, is, is fairly long, mm-hmm. but really, really well written. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I, when I finished it, I didn't feel optimistic Mm-mm. either. I felt like she'd pointed out a mm-hmm. tremendous problem. Yeah, she was like, these are all the holes. Like, I jokingly in my office, I, I tell my staff that, that there's problem solving and there's problem identifying. Mm-hmm. And problem identifying is, you know, this is, hey, this is an issue. And problem solving is, hey, this is an issue and here's what we can do to make it better or here's what we can do to get rid of it or whatever it might be. And I felt like this book was incredibly problem identifying. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the conclusion had a lot of problem solving in mm. it. And I thought it was very optimistic. Like I, I, and I was surprised by the optimism of it. Mm-hmm. And because the book is not an optimistic book, Mm-mm. you know, but, but what I thought was really interesting and I don't, I don't want to you know, quote the book at any length, but, but um, for those of you who read it, you know, on page 245, she talks about like what can be done. 
you know, she, she really breaks down, I think, some solutions in some ways. But it's interesting because it's similar to my book in the sense that when people ask me about, you know, um, so what are, well, you know, give, me, give us the top, because people love lists. So, right. Oh, give us the top three things couples can do to improve their mm-hmm. marriage. Or what are, the, what are five things people do that hurt their relationships, right. you know? Because people just love these lists. I think we've just been on BuzzFeed for too long. Uh-huh. Something that we want, like numbers and lists of things, like bite-sized pieces, you know? And she makes some practical suggestions, I guess you could call it in the conclusion of this book about, but they're, they're so unbelievably basic. It's, right. it's like when people ask me like, oh, you know, what's the secret to a good relationship? I'm like talking to each other, yeah, listening to each other, being kind mm-hmm. to each other. Like, and they want something sexier than that. Right. They want something like more like, you know, what you should do is every night, yeah, like you get a pedicure, right, you should do the following. <laughs> and then every third Tuesday, yeah. you should go for a walk. And during the, you know, like they want some some interesting, it's like diet books, you right. know, like they want some weird thing that you're going to tell them. And and her solutions really are things like identify anger mm-hmm. when you, ex- when you feel it, when you express it, when you hear someone else expressing it, when you hear a woman expressing anger, give her space to talk about it and say, oh, it sounds like you're angry or, or in a sense, I mean, I don't, she says it much more eloquently than I could possibly, but, you know, I, I, and I thought, I wonder if this is making anyone feel optimistic. Because mm. it, it feels like um, it feels like, OK, here's some things because, you know, you read a book like this and you kind of go, OK, what can I do? Mm-hmm. What can I do to mm-hmm. improve this situation or what can I do? And I, and I felt like at the in the conclusion, she tried to maybe throw us a couple of biscuits in that way. Right. Like, OK, here's a few things. You Her editor do. was probably like. Rebecca, yeah. this is too like, much. Rebecca, this is such a downer. <laughs> Rebecca, yeah. we need like, can you yeah. give me some positive? Like, yeah. what about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, I but I wondered if it if it was a function of my maleness that I read it and didn't feel optimistic. So that's why I didn't want to, didn't want to couch the question by saying, well, I read this and I finished it. I felt worse than I felt when I started. I felt smarter and I felt like I was seeing something more clearly that I hadn't seen clearly before. And I understood it a little bit better, but I didn't feel any better about the prospects on things. So I wanted to say, was that a function of my my perspective or was it something? So I'm interested that yeah. you had the same feeling that I had. Yeah, I think she definitely identifies problems in this one. But I think that's also probably part of solving problems. You got to know oh, what you're solving. But like yeah, the, I think it's the yeah. first step. That's the first know? step. So I but think and it, I don't know that it has a clean, clear solution or maybe no. it would require. I think she actually lays out, uh, you know, without explicitly saying it, by identifying all of the myriad of systemic and individual ways mm-hmm. That on all of these different uh, areas, you know, race, mm-hmm. sex, class, you know, uh, geography even, you know, she mm-hmm. talks a lot about all of these very specific pieces of this. And I think that that that, that is in and of itself a, a solution, you know, right. which is we got to work on each of these problems and then the, the collective problem would be easier to solve. Yeah. But um, I, I think, unfortunately, we're in an age of... of Simple answers. You right. Know, we want simple answers. We want sound bites. You know, build a wall. Right. You know, it would know, be great if we could just build a wall and make bad guys stay out yeah. of the world. Like, that's a ridiculous, a child, only a child would believe. Right. That. Yeah. So my last kind of questions for you are just about the book itself. What do you think of the title and the cover? And I guess also might as well mention inside the cover, the like yeah. end pages. I didn't love it. I'll be honest. The title or the I cover? Um, I think the the title's good. I mean, good and mad. I thought the title of the, originally when I heard her on the um, podcast, I thought the title was The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. I mm. didn't realize it was good and mad. I mean, it's clever. It's a clever yeah. title. Good and mad is a clever title. Um, I think the subtitle's really good. I, I, I found in even writing my own book that subtitles are so much easier to come up with mm-hmm. a clever subtitle than it is a good title. But no, I think they did a great job of it. I think the cover is a little busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I understand why they wanted to include the Gornick quote on the cover because it's a great quote. Mm. Um, but I just uh, I think it just makes the cover look a little bit busy. I think the whole thing of putting you know the the, the embossing of the word fuck with mm-hmm. the star uh, on it. It feels to me right now that that's such like a stunt thing everyone's doing. Yeah. Like the profanity thing is such a thing now. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, you know, fuck happiness. Like all, like it's become a thing. Right. I, I, we talked, but when I was, when we were coming up with the title for my book, there was a discussion about like, what do you title this book? And one of the titles that we threw out there was everyone's fucking everyone. Mm. Because a lot of the book was about A, how people are actually all sleeping with each other and even though they're married and and B, that how people are like fucking each other in a more existential sense of the word. And, um, and I said, you know what? I don't, 
No. Well, I don't want to do that. It kind like, of cheapens I, I think, it. Yeah, it feels cheap. It, like this is yeah. such a smart it's book. It's such a smart book. It looks too trivial. Right. Like it looks like a like a silly book kind right. of. And it's not. It's a very serious book. It's a book. really serious book. <laughs> it's a really and major it's, it's book. A, and it's a book I had to more than once like read a, a, a page and then go back and reread mm-hmm. the page because mm-hmm. it, it, it's dense. It took it's, me a while well, I mean, to get it has like, how many pages of footnotes at the end? Yeah, but, a lot. But it's digestible. I don't want to give the impression it's academic. I mean, it, it, it the cover has a lot on it. Mm-hmm. So I think it almost gives it an academic kind of a look. Right. Um, and I, do, I did like very much the, the signs from the women's march. Uh, of covers of the signs from the women's march. I thought that was very clever. A, because the signs are, are clever signs, most mm-hmm. of them. But I also think that it, it um, you know, it drives home some of the things that she talks about in the book and right. some of the ideas of, of, of it. And it shows the magnitude, like how many signs there are is yeah. even part of it. Like it's like yeah. this is a revolution of rage. I like the title, Good and Mad. That doesn't bother me. But I agree. The, the fuck... I just, I don't know. But I did hear her say on a podcast, she wanted the book to be called Fuck You, You Fucking Fuck. (laughs) Like, that's what she really wanted it to be called. And her pup, Simon & Schuster, was like, yeah, right, lady. But I guess that must have been something that she felt passionately about. You know, the titling of a book I learned firsthand is is and and putting together a cover and all that. It's a collaborative process. Yeah, I've learned that a lot. And you don't really have total control over it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, as a writer, you know, you also... If you're doing it right, you know what you don't know. Right. You know, and, that's right. And There's people whose job it is yeah, to make a yeah. cover. And, and I, I, I'm very lucky that I had a great uh, team at Henry Holt, and and I had a, a almost entirely female editorial publicist, senior editors. Like every, it was entirely female. And, yeah. And that was great because my book, you know, I think needed my editor Serena Jones, who's a, amazing, was uh, you know brought a lot in my original draft of the book really mm. identified a lot of sort of unconscious sexism and things that I was thinking and saying that, right. that I didn't mean to think right. or say the way I did, even as someone who tries to be very much aware of the ways that I'm coding with language mm-hmm. and the ways that, but I, I think you just don't always see things. You yeah. know? And, and so I think you need good people around you, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think I'm not, I'm certainly not resentful of Rebecca for the fuck on the cover. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not mad at her for it. I just look at it as like, this is such a stunt thing right yeah, now. Yeah, and you didn't have to do I it. That I feel like the fuck thing's over. Yeah. But, but you know what? Th- this book also came out like right around, you know, like it makes more sense on this mm-hmm. than it does on a lot, a lot of books other that things. are now doing yeah. it. So. I just think it cheapens the book a little bit mm-hmm. in a way that I wish that it didn't because the book is so powerful and strong mm-hmm. and it doesn't need that. Mm-hmm. I think you put it on a book that's like, we need to sell copies of this, like, mm-hmm. because people, it's not that great, but mm-hmm. this book is, like, kind of great, so. I appreciated this book way more than I thought I would when, mm-hmm. when we decided to read it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it. It was something that I sort of said, like, well, I've been thinking about reading this, because, yeah. you know, I, I heard her on a podcast, and she's really smart, and I think I probably disagree with her on a lot of things. And then I read it, and I was really surprised at how much I learned and and how uh, much I didn't disagree with what she was saying, even when it was leveled at a perspective that I held. So I, love that. Um, I really do think it's a it's a worthwhile book. I hope a lot of people read it. Uh, a lot more people read. It. I know it's done well, um, but I, I hope uh, it continues to do well. And um, and I hope you men listening, you go read it. Yeah, read go it. read it. It's it, listen. It's it's very readable and it's very smart. And even if you disagree with uh, her point of view. Um, I think you'll still find a lot of value in understanding it. And yeah. it's very, it's a, it's a very readable book. Too. Totally. It's very well done. So. Well, thank you, Jim, so much for, for being here. Me. And thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to James Sexton for being our guest. Make sure you get yourself a copy of his book. If you're in my office, it's already too late from your favorite bookseller. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out the website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show like perks and our book club and more, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join the fun. Or for one-time contributions, go to paypal.me slash The Stacks Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. Our theme music is from Tagiragis. And this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you all in the stacks. Stacks.